Welcome to the 141st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with J. Scott Savage, author of the Far World series. The Far World Volume 3 Airkeep was published earlier this year and is available in bookstores now. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is J. Scott Savage, the author of the young adult fantasy series, Far World. The latest book in the series, Far World Airkeep, is in bookstores now. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be on with you. Sure. Well, first, at the outset, I wondered if you could read the first page or two of Far World Airkeep. Absolutely. Okay, so the first chapter is called Books and Beetles, and uh, it's actually from the point of view of one of the two major characters in the story, Kaiza. Flick, snap, crunch. Flick, snap, crunch. Would you stop that? Kaiza swept away the pile of maps in front of her and scowled into the dark corner of the underground room. Riffraff spotted another of the eight-legged water beetles that had come here to avoid the blistering heat outside. His tongue flicked, and he snapped the red-shelled insect into his mouth, then crunched it with his beak. Did you say something? Oh! Kaiza slammed a fist on the big wooden table. You are so annoying! The skite flapped his stubby, teal-blue wings and hopped up to where Kaiza had been studying stacks of maps and books for hours on end. Pardon me, he said in a tone that was anything but apologetic. He looked around, found a beetle hiding in the shadow of a thick book, and speared it with one talon. Here, he said, the creature wriggling, I wouldn't have hogged them all if I'd known you wanted one. I don't, Kaiza said, tired of his jokes. I want you to let me think. Riffraff ate the beetle, then licked his beak with a long tongue stained the same bright red as the insect he'd been catching. I didn't realize my trying to eat enough to stay alive while you kept us locked in this dungeon was bothering you. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about Far World Airkeep yet, how would you describe the novel? Sure. Well, basically what you've got is the third book in the Far World series. And Far World uh, is the story of a boy on Earth uh, who's been in a wheelchair his entire life and a girl named Kaija who uh, has been lived in a world where everyone and everything has magic except for her. She is immune to magic and, and can't do any kind of magic at all. And so they both kind of find themselves kind of different or outcasts in their world. And, and uh, so in the first book, Waterkeep, uh, they meet each other, discover that they can jump between worlds, um, but that they have to open a doorway to call the drift between their worlds in order to save Earth and Far World. In the second book, we we are now trying to get the help of the Earth elementals. And then in the third book, just kind of as a high-level picture, we're, we're trying to get the help of the air elementals. Um, I think each book kind of has its own taste and, and flavor, though. In the first one, there's a lot of, of world-building and, and setting off on the quest. In the second one, we really start to see, you know, the personalities of, of Marcus and Kai, how they play together and, and how they've started to to work off of each other. And the third book is, is the middle book of a five-book series. And so, um, for me, that's where you really want the stakes to be really high 
you want to see a lot of, of danger um, and and some of the darker issues in a series a lot of times are around the middle book. And I think that's the, the case with Airkeep. Sure, sure. So um, I'm curious, um, as, as, you, as you just mentioned, Far World Airkeep is the third book in the Far World series. What, what led you to writing the series initially? Well, uh, so there were two things. I am always a, uh, almost always, I, I start with a character. Um, and so the first character that I began with when I, when I thought about this series was Marcus, this boy in the wheelchair. And I honestly didn't have anything else at the time other than just the idea of how would a boy in a wheelchair play into, you know, not, not, not an epic fantasy, like if you were looking at, say, a Brandon Sanderson, a Wheel of Time type series, something like that, but an epic type YA series. How would, how would a boy in a wheelchair fit into that? And then as the idea kind of started to expand, what I discovered is that you have a boy and a girl both wanting to get rid of their differences, which I think is real common at that age, that, that we don't want people to see our differences. You know, that, that kind of tends to be the age when we hide them. Um, but they discover that those differences are actually going to be requ- required in order for them to save their worlds. And so it's kind of about turning your differences into your strengths. Sure, sure. Well, as you just mentioned, it's a five-book series. Um, I'm assuming that you have uh, somewhat kind of rough outlined or or have you outlined in detail the, the entire series? Yeah, I actually had outlined the entire five-book series. And there are always, when I, when I say outline, I wouldn't say like a chapter-by-chapter chapter outline. But when I first went to my publisher to talk about the series, what we did was to discuss all five books in this series and the role that they would play. There, there are some times where I'll write a series where I might say, you know, this could be two books, this could be one book, it could be five books. You know, it really depends on how successful the series was. With this one in particular, there was a very specific story arc. Part of it is that you've got Waterkeep, Landkeep, Airkeep, Firekeep, and then Shadowkeep is the fifth book. So part of it was dealing with each of the elementals, but a bigger part of it was the entire story arc. So when I was writing book one, there was things that I was setting up that are actually revealed in book four. And you'll be able to look back and say, oh, wow, okay, that really was set up there. And that's a nice, um, it's a nice luxury to have as an author because a lot of times you're writing a series not knowing how many books you're going to get to play with, and so you'll leave strings hanging in the hope that you can wrap them up, but you don't know for sure. But in this case, we all agreed, the publisher myself, they they had also done a couple of different series. They'd done uh, Fable Haven, Eleven Thumps, and some other series that were four or five book series, so they were comfortable with making that kind of commitment. Right, right. And so when you sit down to, to work on each book in the series, um, what, what's your writing process like? Do you, do you plot and outline uh, the entire book before you sit down to write it? I didn't when I first started writing. I've, I've actually published 12 books now. Um, my, my children's national fantasy type things, those are all written as J. Scott Savage. I had published previous to that as Jeffrey S. Savage, uh, just with a, a local publisher here, more adult mysteries and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when I first started writing, 
I didn't outline. Um, in, in fact, I was almost superstitious about, you know, I don't want to tie myself down. I, I don't want to feel like the story has to go in this direction. But especially as you start getting more, for one thing, you get into deadlines where you say, okay, this book has to be done by this time. So I can't afford to start going off the wrong direction, get, you know, 200 pages in and say, oh, yeah, that wasn't, uh, <laughs> that wasn't where the story was going to go. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's not good when you're under, when you're under contract. Um, but the second piece of it, too, is that uh, I think stories become stronger if you can force yourself to do some level of outlining. And so for me, I do still want the freedom of being able to say, hey, you know what, this story may go a direction I didn't anticipate. But I know I know a beginning, I know the ending, I know several key elements that are going to take place within the story, um, and then I'll jump in and just start writing. And a lot of times what will happen is I'll get in and things will change enough that I'll say, okay, I need to modify the outline a little bit, but I still know where the end is. I still know where I'm going with the story. And then when I'm about anywhere from a third to halfway through, that's the point where I know exactly where we're going. And then I'll do a chapter by chapter outline. At that point, I'll just literally say, okay, I've got, you know, uh, let's, let's say there's 20 more chapters to go or 25 chapters to go. I will put chapter, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, and then just do a one or two sentence description of what's going to happen in that chapter. Right, right. And and so as you mentioned earlier, you, you've written adult mysteries. What has been the process like for you to uh, to write young adult novels? Do you ever find when you're writing the young adult novels that sometimes you have to pull back or or, or modify given the audience? I I don't. Um, very, very seldom will anyone ever come back as far as when you say like pull back or modify. I don't modify things like uh, like language or um, and, and when I'm talking about language, I'm not talking about profanity, that kind of sure, thing. I'm sure. talking about vocabulary, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't want to do that. It, it's really important to me. I would rather have a kid see a word that they don't know. And, and when I say kid... I write, in this case, this series is targeted at young adults, but I literally have had, as I've been out doing school visits and touring the country, I've had second graders come and tell me all about the series and how they've read it multiple times. And, uh, you know, I actually had one family who came and they said, there are four generations of us reading your series. There was the, the great-grandmother, the grandmother, uh, the mother and the uh, the kids, a daughter and a couple of sons. And I asked them, you know, well, who who introduced this to who? And it was actually the great grandmother that introduced it to all of them. So <laughs> I, I like to be able to write a story that uh, anyone of any age can appreciate. However, there are specific things that you do with the story itself. I'm, I mentioned earlier someone like a you know, a Robert Jordan or a Brandon Sanderson or something like that. Um, if I were writing this as a, as a straight adult fantasy series, my target audience would be a different group. Um, the people who read Wheel of Time series are very ardent. They're very into the world and the world building, and they expect to, you know, have a novel that might be, you know, 300,000 words and, and have hundreds of characters and that kind of thing. Sure. When you're writing a fantasy that's targeted at young adult and your word count is maybe a hundred thousand, 
you just don't go into that same level of world building. So a little faster paced, um, a little more focus on plot over maybe world politics and that kind of thing. Um, but I try not to, in the writing itself, I still want it to be something that, that, you know, would catch up an adult reader as much as it is, a you know, a, maybe a, a fifth or sixth grader. Sure. And, and, and you, you talked about this tour and you talked about the, the family that had multiple generations. What, what kind of response have you gotten to the Far World series? Do you get letters or emails from kids who've read the book? I do. I probably, uh, I probably get too many. Um, <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, I respond all the time, but I'll have authors say, wait, how many, you know, I, on a typical day, I could get anywhere from five to maybe even 20 emails, uh, a lot of times from kids whose schools I've gone out and visited. And they do something in my books that a lot of authors don't do, which is in the back of the book, I do put my email address. And, and it's my regular email address. It's not a, you know, it's not something that a, an assistant or an admin or something is going through. Um, because it really, for me, that connection is really important. And I know a lot of authors who say, when I write my first draft, it's just for me. I'm writing it for myself. I can't write that way. I, I have to write for my target audience. And so when I'm writing in my mind, I, I'm, I'm laughing, thinking how people are going to respond when they see this or how they're going to respond to that or, you know, what, what are they going to think of this? I'm, I'm really writing to that audience. And so um, I do get a lot of feedback. I get a lot of emails. Um, it's really interesting right now because we're a third of the way through the series, but we're also going out to a lot of areas of the country where we haven't been before and introducing this series to new people. So I'm selling a lot of book one and book two. And then if I'm in an area like it, like if I'm, if I'm in Utah, Arizona, Oregon, Washington, um, anywhere kind of in the Western U S California, where I have a lot of readers of the series already, I'll probably sell more of book three, but like I was out in, um, in Pennsylvania a couple of weeks ago and it was really funny because I was signing at a, at a Barnes and Noble there and, and I called the guy and I said, okay, you know, I'm doing a couple of days of schools here. Do you have enough books? Because we're going to have, you know, anticipate probably uh, a two to three hour line. And he said, oh no, we, we don't get that kind of turnout. He said, I've, I've got about 50 books. Um, you know, about 20 of each, each book, one, two, and three will be good to go. And I, and I said, well, those books are all going to be gone. By the time I actually walk in the door to do the signing, the books are all going to be gone. They're, they're, <laughs> I know you haven't done these kind of events a lot, you know, and he's like, no, trust me, you know? And so it was really funny because I, I came in the door, you know, at six o'clock when I was getting ready to do this six o'clock signing. <laughs> so there was a mob just like, going off on him. How can you do this? You know, you do the kind of events. Our kids are excited. They come here. The books aren't here, you know, and he felt <laughs> terrible. And, and, and what we did, we, we got a bunch of book plates and signed them for the kids and he did free shipping. And, and uh, so he really took, you know, we took great care of him and made sure that everyone got signed book plates for all the books that they had ordered and everything like that. Um, but when we got done, he said, you know, this is a really weird thing for me. He said, you know, I, I, we had Harper Collins send their top five YA authors or, or a group of five top YA authors that they were traveling all around the country. And you sold more books here tonight than they sold combined. And, and so it really, part of it is 
that this is a, a new series. It's exciting. Kids haven't heard of it before. And I think that there's something that resonates with readers about the idea of, of a main character, in fact, two main characters who have what we would consider pretty big disabilities in, in their lives. And, and so you asked about emails. I get a lot of emails that, that just touch your heart. You know, kids who come back and say, you know, I've been picked on my whole life or, or I have this problem or this disability. Um, and reading this story really inspired me to not let that slow me down. And, and you're like, oh, wow, that, <laughs> yeah. that kind of tears you up, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, well, given your success to date with, with your novels, what advice would you have for aspiring writers who may be listening who uh, want to have their own novels and stories published? I, I would say two things. Number one is give yourself permission to make mistakes. Um, and, and I mean that in two different ways. Uh, one way is, is just really simply, it's okay if your first draft or your first book or your first five books, your first eight books, whatever, are not, are not where you're striving to be. Um, for some reason, people, if you went out and you decided you were going to be a painter, you wouldn't expect your first painting to be a masterpiece. You wouldn't expect, you know, your, your first time you sat down at a piano to, to write, you know, some amazing concerto or something. But for some reason, a lot of people think that their first book has to be a New York times bestseller. And if it's not, they consider themselves a failure and they don't realize that number one, the books they're comparing their writing to have probably done through eight, 10 rounds of revisions. Number two, it's probably an author who's been writing for years. And, and number three, you know, it, it's okay to start with something that might not be perfect. That's how you get better. But the second part of, of that piece of advice is to try something you don't believe that you can do. Um, one of the funny things about Far World, we, we've talked that I was, I was writing adult prior to that, and my youngest brother has always asked me, we grew up when, when fantasy computer games were just coming out, you know, on five and a half inch floppy disks mm -hmm. and, you know, literally cassette drives, all that kind of thing. So we played all the fantasy games. We read Terry Brooks and, and Stephen R. Donaldson, all the fantasy stuff we could get our hands on. And so he would always say to me, hey, when, when are you going to write a fantasy? When, when are you going to write a, a, a young adult fantasy? And I told him, I, I don't think I can. I, I, I write for an adult audience. I write mysteries, thrillers. This is such a different genre that I don't think I can do it. And he kept bugging me enough. And a friend of mine, James Dashner, who's uh, we've been friends forever. He's the author of the Maze Runner series. He had just recently signed to do um, uh, a series with this same publisher called The 13th Reality. And when he told me about it, something just kind of clicked. And that night I was on the road for tra uh, on, on travel for business and I kept thinking about this story and I couldn't shut it down. And, and uh, finally I thought, okay, you've got to get some sleep. It's two o'clock in the morning. Prove to yourself that you can't do it. Try to write one chapter, then you can go to sleep and everything will be good. Well, the next thing I knew it was 7.30 in the morning and I'd written 5,000 words. And you know, that started the Far World series, which, you know, then I've also done the Case File 13 series with HarperCollins and really turned my career in an entirely different direction I didn't expect. And so that's really the other half of that is that that when you sit down to write, if you are 100% confident, 
that what you're writing you can handle, you're probably not challenging yourself enough. You really, to do your best work, you need to sit down and say, you know what, I, I'm trying something that I don't know if I can pull off. And if you give yourself permission to make mistakes, if you give yourself permission to, to maybe possibly fail, that, that maybe what you're trying won't work out, then you're also giving yourself permission to succeed beyond what you believe you can. Good advice. If, if, you, if, you, if you have a bad day at, at the keyboard, do you have any tips or tricks for kind of getting through that? <laughs> well, it's not if, it's when, you know, okay. I, I think that, you know, we, we all, we all have points. I, I don't know of any author and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some that I haven't met, but every author that I've ever talked to at some point in every manuscript, you just go, man, this, this just isn't working. Um, this, I, it's just, it's crap, you know, and, and there's that fear inside you. Did I just invest all this time and, and it's not, it's not happening. So uh, one thing is, first of all, if, if, if it's just one day, like if you're writing along and you get a little bit stuck at a point, especially if you're, let, let's say you're on chapter 10 and you know what's going to happen at chapter 15, but you don't know what's going to happen with, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14. What you can literally do, is, and I do this, is just put a note in your manuscript that says something amazing happens here. Then jump ahead to the point where you know what's going to go on from there and and write that. And as you get further into the book, you'll realize, oh, I, I know what that missing piece was. I know what will fit in there. So that's one thing. The second thing is if writing as a whole has started to get you down, I mean, if you're just to the point where it's feeling like work and, you know, you look at your keyboard with dread, um, write something that is not for publication. Write something that, that you're not worried about. Is this going to sell? Is an editor accept this? Is the agent going to want it? Just write what you would write if no one was ever going to read it, what you would just love to write. And there's something really freeing about that, just just giving yourself permission to, to create something that you love. And a lot of times that ends up being your most successful work. And then I think the third thing is just if, if you really have kind of hit a crunch, you know, you hear all the time, just plant your butt in the chair and write. And that is true, that, that a lot of times you can just write through it. That if you're having a bad day and you just force yourself to write, that you can get through it. But there's also sometimes, just like anything else, you know, like, like if you're a, a runner, for example, and every day you go out and running training, some days there are days where you just get up and you go, you know what, this just isn't going to be a running day. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to head down to IHOP and have pancakes instead, you know. And, and I think that's the, the case with writing, too, is that there's nothing wrong at all with taking a day or a couple of days off, as long as you recognize that it's that it's just a break. The problem is that that day or two off can turn into a week or two or a month or two off, and that's where you get in trouble because I really think that that part of your brain that, that creates stories and writes is like any other muscle. If you stop using it for long enough, it can it can weaken. Right, right. So do you do you still have a chance to read very much? Oh, all the time. I, I, <laughs> I've always got at least three or four books open um, at any time. In fact, I've usually got something on it. I've, I've got at least a couple of things I can read on my phone. I've got a couple of things on my tablet. I've always got, you know, one or two print books. And 
the worst thing for me in the world is, is being on a plane or waiting in a doctor's office or waiting for my kids to get out of school or something and not having something to read. That That's just like my nightmare. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I can relate. Um, I'm curious, what, what have you read lately that, that, that made an impression on you and that you would recommend? Yeah, so um, I'll focus on two books that are both written for about this same age group. Uh, one that I'm about halfway through and one that I finished the first two books. And so the first one is uh, a novel that I think is finally just starting to get the attention that it really deserves. It's It's gotten some really good awards lately. The second book just came out, and that is The False Prince by Jennifer Nielsen. Um, the second book, The Runaway King, just came out. Those are by Scholastic, uh, by Jennifer Nielsen, and uh, just an absolutely incredible series. I, I mean, I just... You know, at least for me, I knew in the first book kind of how I thought it was going to end, and it did sort of end the way I anticipated, but the way that the story went through and the way that that was set up and how it came together, as an author even, you're kind of going, did you screw up here? (laughs) I, I know that you finished this and you got this published, but is your ending, is the way that you wrap this up believable? And she did it so well that I was just just blown away by that. And I'm trying to think of the other author right now. The the name of the book is Insignia, um, and there's a second one that's just coming out uh, that just got a starred Kirkus review. And it's it's a woman, and she I, I know she goes by two first initials last name. I'll have to look it up. But uh, okay. but the book is called Insignia. Um, I started it thinking it's maybe middle grade. The more I read it, I think I probably call it YA. Um, for me, it had a little bit of an Ender's Game type feeling in the beginning. Uh, a sci-fi kid who's into virtual reality games gets recruited by the government to 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 come in and and be trained to be this kind of warrior. And so when you start reading it, you kind of think, okay, maybe you know, maybe that's uh, S. J. Kincaid. That's S. J. Kincaid. That's the author. Um, of insignia. As you get in, though, the character depth, the story plot, at least for me, didn't go anywhere where I expected it to be. And it was really a book where I'd go, let me read just one more chapter. I mean, it's too late. I need to be doing some stuff, but let me read one more chapter. Or I'd reward myself. I'm doing edits on on my Case File 13 series right now. And I'd be like, okay, 50 more pages of edits, and I can read a couple of chapters of this. So those are two great series, um, The False Prince by Jennifer Nielsen and Insignia by S.J. Kincaid. Great. So what are you working on now? Um, well, I actually have three different things, and, and for me, I've always – I've got to have, like, a couple of things lined up because I I write pretty quickly. When I know where the story's going, I, I'll write anywhere from, you know, three to 5,000 words a day. So um, I'm just finishing the last edits for my third book in my Case File 13 series, which is a, a series for younger middle grade readers, um, especially reluctant readers, boys. Um, it's about these group of boys and girls that love monsters. Halloween's their favorite holiday. And the first book is Zombie Kid. The second book that comes out in September is called Evil Twins. Or no, it's called Making the Team. It's kind of a Frankenstein book. And then I'm just doing edits on Evil Twins, which is about doppelgangers. And then uh, I'm about halfway through uh, Firekeep, 
which is the fourth book in the Far World series. This will be the longest of the the four books, and really, it'll be kind of the the build up to Shadowkeep, which is 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 one of those books that for me, I'm going. I hope I can write that. <laughs> I'm trying to do some <laughs> unusual things in there, you know. So it'll be people have said, well, you've got Waterland, Air and Fire, Why Shadow, and it's like, well, you need to read the last sentence of the fourth book, Firekeep, and when you do, you'll know why there needs to be Shadowkeep there. And when you read it, you'll totally understand why I'm going, okay, this will be an interesting one to write. So so I'm looking forward to that. And then uh, my agent and I are actually getting ready to shop a, a new series um, that I can't talk about yet, but it's sure. very different. It is fantasy, but it's not magic. It's, uh, it's more medieval, um, very character-driven, and kind of a, a big twist on, on what you normally see instead of a a kid who's going to save his world. It's basically a kid who is, you know, supposed to destroy his world. And how does he deal with that and everything? So anyhow, some kind of fun stuff. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Jay Scott Savage, the author of the Far World series. The Far World books are available in bookstores now. So grab a copy, especially if you have a young reader in your life. Scott, thanks for doing the interview. Great. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.